Today, we dive into the ins and outs of podcasting, including how to generate leads, grow your brand, and even create amazing content. Next on Making Bacon. Hey there, I'm Jason Logston, and this is Making Bacon, all about helping you serve your fans, grow your income, and get the most out of your blog. Today's episode is brought to you by my very own self-publishing 101 course. The average home cook owns almost 50 times more printed cookbooks than PDF cookbooks. So why are you limiting yourself? With the advent of print-on-demand companies like Amazon KDP and IngramSpark, it's now easier than ever to become your own publisher. But if you don't know what you're doing, you can waste not only your time, but also your money. After publishing 15 cookbooks, including a top 10 cookbook on Amazon, I know publishing, especially self-publishing, and I want to share my expertise with you. That's where my video course comes in, stepping you through the entire self-publishing process so you can get your printed cookbook up for sale on Amazon without making any mistakes. You can check that out at makethatbacon.com slash publish now. Now, on to the show. As bloggers, we often turn to podcasts for advice, listen to podcasts for entertainment, and follow our favorite podcasters on social media. But we often don't think about getting behind the microphone ourselves. But from growing our brands to creating content, podcasting can be a great way to move your business forward. Luckily, today's guest is the perfect person to help us out. She is a podcast strategist who supports entrepreneurs with using podcasting as a lead generation and marketing strategy in their businesses. She's the host of Profit From Podcasting, the creator of The Podcast Vault, and a proponent of using content repurposing to consistently create content that is searchable, accessible, and community building. I can't wait to learn from today's guest, the creator of The Podcast Vault and host of Profit From Podcasting, Laura Bowder. Laura, welcome to Bacon Bacon. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you coming on, and I can't wait to dive into all things podcasting. It's something that I love doing, and I think a lot of my audience will really like. But before we get started, I always like to ask, what is it like around your dinner table on a typical day? <laughs> That's an awesome question. So I will admit that I am not the cook in the family. My husband is a much better cook than I am. So he is often the one that takes charge when it comes to making dinner, and I guess I'll also admit that we tend to do, I guess, maybe, and you can correct me on this, it's like batch cooking. Like we will create a, a larger quantity of food in certain meals that we know we're going to like so that we have kind of a, a quick meal we can throw together during the week. We have a toddler who's running around at home, so sometimes we just need to have dinner quickly, and sometimes it's before he goes to bed, and sometimes it's after. Batch cooking is definitely a great way to kind of make sure you still have good food even uh, when you have a, a lot going on around the, the dinner table on any given night. Yes. What's your favorite meal that uh, your husband makes? Well, he has a very, very good spaghetti and meatballs that he does. And I think the other thing that I would say he's really good at is his chili. Oh, nice. Two of my favorites. You can't go wrong with those. <laughs> yeah, those are solid. They're classics. <laughs> so a lot of people love listening to podcasts, but they don't always see the benefits of starting one of their own. And it's a pretty intimidating process, I think, uh, as well. Can you talk a little bit about why a food blogger should consider starting one? Yes. So it can definitely be intimidating. It's a whole different world, different technology than when it comes to being a blogger. And I think when you're comfortable with one medium, like I spend a lot of time talking to podcasters and trying to convince them that written content is important. So when you're speaking to bloggers, you know, I understand that it's, it's difficult to try and think about making that jump. 
But I do think that it's important to consider because we're starting to see more overlap between the two. We're starting to realize that we're reaching different people potentially with the different platforms. So there are some people that are have loved blogs forever and are always going to read blogs. But there are a lot of people that don't take the time to read blogs, don't know what blogs are out there. You'll really start to set yourself apart, I think, as an expert and somebody who really has authority in whatever area you are blogging in if you also have a podcast. I think it's still something that not a lot of people do, which really means that you kind of rise above the pack. All food bloggers have food blogs, but almost no food bloggers have podcasts right now. And like you're saying, it's a great way to do something that other people aren't. If someone is interested in doing a podcast, what are the basics they need to get started creating one? So what you need, I think, first and foremost to start a podcast, there's kind of two sides of this. There's like the logistical side and then there's the technical side. Technically, you can start out pretty simple and build as you go along. I would recommend having some kind of microphone that is external to your laptop. Laptop microphones are not the best for sound quality but you also don't need to go top of the line. You just need to have a microphone that will pick up your sound and you want it to be good enough. We've all probably tuned into podcasts where you can't really understand or there's a lot of differences between the sound of the person who's hosting the show and the guest. And it, it will turn people off to some extent if, you're, if your sound quality is really poor. But most importantly, other than like the microphone and having some kind of headphones in place and the other tech piece would just be having somewhere to host your show, which we could talk about a little more if you want to do that. But for bloggers, they already have such a such an advantage when it comes to the other piece that you need to start a podcast. And that is just like a content plan. And bloggers have that they you you know, if you have a food blog and you're deciding to move into podcasting, you probably have weeks, months, years of past content that you can look at and see what your audience likes, what was working well, what wasn't. And having that plan to start off with, with your podcast motivates you. I feel like in those times where you might be unsure of what to do next with your podcast or how it's working out, if you know that you have a plan for your content, it gives you that extra push to keep going. Your point about the microphone is key like it is like my microphone's i think 80 dollars or something it's not yes, outrageously expensive <laughs> for for like a, a group of listeners that buys you know thousand dollar cameras and lenses for their food photography like the right. mic's pretty cheap uh, i was recording a presentation for um a conference that i was in last week and for whatever reason my mic got switched off of my main mic to just my computer mic and when i went back to start editing i was like it sounded like I tried to record it through like a tin can with a string on it. It was just so horrible. Yes. So I went back and re-recorded re the entire thing, but that is, it makes such a difference from amateur to professional by itself. You talk about having a content plan and using that to like create your content. And that's one thing I think a lot of food bloggers think like, well, this would be one more thing that I have to do and just one more time suck but I don't think that's the case. And you talk about reusing content. Can you talk about how they could work in podcasting to maybe even like speed up some of their content creation? Right, I think it can go both ways. So when I'm working with people who have a podcast and that is their main form of content creation, it's I have to kind of encourage them that you can use a lot of what you've already created and put it in written form. So the same goes for someone who has a blog. 
you don't necessarily have to spend all that time and write out your blog post and take all of your wonderful pictures and then think of the podcast as something completely separate on your to-do list. I think your blog can still be your main way of creating content if that is your preferred method. If you love to sit down and write your blogs, that can still be how you kind of come up with your original content. But you can take what you've written and you can repurpose that pretty easily into a podcast, especially if you just want to do like solo shows. So just you as the host speaking and you don't have to stand up there and read your blog to people. But you can probably pick out what are some important points from the blog, what are they can be, you know, maybe you want to go through the, the three main points of your blog, and then you can even point people back to your blog if they want more information or they want to see the pictures. So it can be a way that people can kind of get those highlights from your blog post, and then you could potentially send them back to your blog as well. I think a lot of times we think about our our blogs as being functional that people come there and watch you know look at a recipe and make it but i think in the reality we're finding more and more that food is entertainment from the tasty yes. style videos that you know people watch i get forwarded videos of things from people i know never set foot in the kitchen but they still watch the cooking videos i feel like a podcast is another way to serve that audience that kind of wants to listen and enjoys food but might not just be looking for a recipe to cook right away Right. Well, and I think it reaches just different people. You know, like I mentioned earlier, there are some people that will probably never read a blog, but they listen to podcasts on their commute. And, you know, we're starting to get into a world where people are going <laughs> to have commutes again. And and that's it might be something that now that they're going back to work, they need different recipes. I mean, there are lots of things that are going to be changing as we kind of hopefully come out of the pandemic. And I think that, you know, Personally, I always listened to podcasts when I was commuting. I know a lot of people do that. And, you know, you can always, like I said, point people back to your blog when they have more time, potentially. But it's it's just a, a great way to really meet people where they are. There are people that listen to podcasts that are also, as you said, very interested in food. Everybody needs to eat. And you can kind of create content to be specifically for that person that's kind of on the go, listening to the podcast. What kind of recipes do they need? You'd mentioned interview versus solo podcasts. Can you talk a little bit about what the two differences are and why someone might choose one over the other? Sure. So your solo podcast is just going to be you as the host speaking, and that's tends to be more like educational, that you really want to be the expert yourself. You want to show that you have the authority in that area. And interview shows are really providing value for your audience by bringing on somebody else who's an expert in something that might be outside your area of expertise, but would still be really important for your audience to know. So, I mean, maybe as a food blogger, you're bringing on a guest who knows everything there is to know about wine and how it pairs with your recipes or something like that. And you can, you can do really anything that you want to do with your podcast. I get a lot of questions about like, well, should my show be solo or should it be interview? And it can be either. It can be both with Profit From Podcasting, which is my show. I do a mix. I tend to do more interviews because I enjoy doing them and, and talking to people about their podcasts and how they use them in their businesses. But I also have solo shows thrown in there where I'm just talking about something that I think is important for the audience. So the great thing about uh, podcasting, which I'm sure is very similar to blogging, is that there really aren't there aren't a lot of rules. You know, you can kind of switch up your show as you see fit, as it works for your schedule. 
as long as your audience kind of knows what to expect from you, they'll roll with it. One of the big benefits I found of doing a interview show, my other uh, podcast is the Exploring Sous Vide Show, and it's all about sous vide cooking. And it's been a great way for me to get in front of all the brands that are big in sous vide cooking. Because as bloggers, we know sponsored posts are a great source of income, but reaching out and saying, hey, do you want to give me $1,000 or $2,000 to do a post is a very different ask than saying, I have a podcast and an audience that I think you would provide value to. Can I talk to you for half an hour and get you in front of them for free? And then you develop that relationship and then you can find ways to collaborate in the future, but it's no longer a cold lead, which has been an effective way to provide a lot of value to my audience while also kind of expanding my network. Mm -hmm. That's a good point too, with interview shows. Like I've been able to connect with so many people that I probably would never have connected with if I wasn't inviting them to be on my show or if they weren't inviting me to be on theirs. So you can make a lot of connections just through having people on your show. And I think it's also important, like you pointed out, brands might be interested in your audience. So it might be even more appealing to them if you can say, yeah, like I have this many visitors to my site every month. And then I also have this podcast where I get this many downloads every month. So it's kind of just building up your, your authority in that area. One more thing that you can stand out from, not only for users, but for also brands, right? Like I'll give you a sponsored post, but I'll also give you a a sponsored by promo in uh, my podcast that no one else is offering them. Absolutely. Yes. I think that would definitely set you apart in the blogger world. And one thing you were talking about is reusing content. So say you have the recipe and you photographed it, and then you record a podcast episode around it. What type of reuse could you get from that episode? Yes. So you can do a lot with your long form content. And so this is something that I do for some of my clients. And I just kind of talk about with others more broadly is like I said, you you can usually create original content in one form, and then you can pull different pieces into whatever other content you're creating. So I mentioned, for example, that you could pull out the highlights and talk about that in a podcast episode. From there, you can think about, you know, do I have an email list that I send messages to every week? Could I put the recipe in there? Could I put the highlights from my podcast episode in there and link back to the blog? Something that's really important when you're reusing your content is not only to be really clear about like what you are doing, what you're offering, but also then to be really clear about the call to action. So where are you sending people from that thing? If you send them an email and there's no call to action, you're not telling them to do anything at the end of that email, they might read it, but first of all, you'll never really know. I mean, you'll see an open rate, but you won't really have a good idea of what they took from that email and what really stood out to them, what your audience is interested in. And similarly with social media posts, depending on if you do a lot of posting, I'm sure food bloggers probably love Instagram because you can put all your pictures up there. So again, just a call to action, be sending them somewhere. I kind of picture it as like a circle with the arrows going around and around and around. Like just always be sending them somewhere else, nurture them in between the major touch points with your content. Like if you're releasing a blog post or a podcast every week, every other week, whatever it is, you want to have other things available so that they can kind of stay in touch with you in those in-between times. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by nurturing the audience in between? Because I think that's a very valuable part of kind of connecting with your audience. Yeah. So this is really big for what I do when I 
in my intro that you gave Jason when I was talking about content that's community building. So there are so many blogs out there. There are a fair amount of podcasts out there. I know everyone is starting to feel like, you know, if this is too saturated, what am I going to do to stand out? And I think the biggest thing that you can do to stand out is to really have that community building content. So when I'm talking about nurturing your audience, I'm talking about having things for them to look at, things to remind them that you exist and what you offer to them in between. Because we have all been in our email inboxes, on social media, just inundated with, you know, emails and messages and pictures from millions of different people. And we think as the person who's hosting the show or writing the blog that we're talking about it all the time and it's annoying and nobody wants to hear about it anymore. And most people have never even heard about you, heard you talk about it at all because they either haven't opened the email or the algorithm on Instagram isn't showing them your post that day or that week. So you have to kind of have those different avenues that they can take. Like maybe they missed your podcast episode, but they happen to be able to catch up on the blog or vice versa, or they opened your email, but didn't see your Instagram post. So just keeping all of those balls kind of in the air allows you to nurture them and just keep, keep you top of mind whenever they need something. Like if they need a recipe that you specialize in, you'll be top of mind when it comes time for them to look for it. I feel like a lot of bloggers get worried too that if I mention this on Facebook, if I mention the same thing on Instagram, my fans will start to get upset. But like you're saying, right. first of all, most of them probably, you know, Facebook didn't show it to 90% of your audience or whatever. Yeah. But on the other side, a lot of people don't follow you on all these channels, right? That mm -hmm. they only follow you on one or two. And if they happen to follow you on five or six, they're probably giant fans and are fine seeing your stuff multiple times, right? Yes. Yes, definitely. What type of content have you found that's really effective to pull out of a podcast to put on social media? Something that does pretty well on social media would be um, definitely audiogram content. And those are those little like squares. You'll see the sound waves going. Those can be helpful because, first of all, it alerts people that there is sound. It's something that they can listen to. And it's kind of like the trailer to a movie, you know, it gives a little taste of what's going on in the episode. If you want to hear more, again, send them, be very clear about that call to action. If you want to hear the rest of this episode, we're talking about, you know, maybe the top three points or something, and you can do it, you can listen to it here. You can send them back to your blog post and embed the, the player in your blog post. So there are lots of options there. With social media, I think the other thing to think about is it's a little bit different from blogging because in blogging you have to have, you know, so many words and you want people to feel like they really got high quality information. And with social media, it's quick. You have to catch their attention. You have to stop the scroll. So if nothing else, I think the audiograms kind of at least stop the scroll for a minute because they are more like they're something that's moving, something you can listen to. And on certain platforms like Instagram, for example, I know reels are huge right now and people can use audio from their podcasts to do that as well. So I think those are, those are a couple of big things. Other than that, I would say, just, just think about the main points. Think about what your audience needs, what questions they have and answer those, you know, provide value for them and interact with them, ask them what they thought about the episode or what questions they still have about what you were talking about. 
So say you have a podcast out there and now you're worried who is going to listen to my podcast. Obviously, you would want to link this up from your blog and make sure that it's prominent so the people coming to read your recipes will be alerted to it. But outside of that, what are some ways that someone could get push people to their podcast and kind of get, gather some new listeners? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so it's definitely important to have it linked on your blog. Like I said, you can you can embed a player right in your blog with most of the hosting platforms for podcasting. So that could be really important. I think it would also be important to, at least at the beginning, kind of distinguish for your audience. Like, this is what my blog is about. This is what you're going to find. But maybe you'll find, you know, something different on the podcast. Maybe just like one little segment that might be something that works better in audio form or something like that. When it comes to advertising your podcast, I mean, my top, my top tip is always to be a guest on other podcasts. Now, for bloggers, I know this might be a little bit, it might make them a little bit nervous because audio is not their usual form of communication, necessarily. When you are trying to get new podcast listeners, you have to go to where they are. And it's such an easy transfer to go from a listener who, you know, likes this host, and now this host has put you in front of their audience and said, this person knows what they're talking about. This person has something to say, something to show you. This person is providing value to you. And, you know, if you mention, hey, I have this podcast that you can listen to, people are likely to hop over. They're on the podcast app already. It's just a really easy transfer in that way. I, I guess something you could do with bloggers, you could do guest blogs as well, where you're linking to, to your blog and your podcast. That might be something that might feel a little more comfortable for bloggers to begin with. And I also think that just going where, where your ideal listener is on social media, that's always important too. So like I mentioned, if you have a lot of people that are really interested in food or food blogging, Instagram might be a place where you really want to focus. If you are more like corporate based for some reason, you might want to focus on LinkedIn. If you're, you know, if you have a Facebook group or a lot of people hang out in certain Facebook groups that you're trying to reach, go there. I think it can seem overwhelming to try to be everywhere all at once. And so starting somewhere where you are pretty confident that your listener is hanging out is going to be probably the most important thing when it comes to marketing your podcast. You talked about being a guest on other people's podcasts as well. What's yeah. a good way that uh, a blogger could find some podcasts to be on? So there are a few different ways. One that has worked really well right now, or one that I think there's a lot of podcasters that are really into this right now, is going on Clubhouse. Clubhouse is a big place for podcasters because it's so audio heavy. There are rooms on Clubhouse that are all about getting guests for podcasts. I'm sure that there are rooms that are specific for bloggers, food bloggers, podcasters. There are just all kinds of options on there, and it makes it really easy because you already have that audio connection with somebody. I think that certainly what you could also do is just kind of search in your podcast app, see what podcasts are out there in your area and you know connect with them on instagram or wherever they tend to be if it's a if it's a bigger podcast they usually have like 
certain forms or different ways that you can reach out to them to potentially be a guest. You can always do like an email pitch. It just depends on the on the host. Some people are very anti getting cold pitches to be a guest and other people are totally fine with it. But I think that's why something like Clubhouse or connecting on Instagram first, just build a little bit of a relationship and kind of break that ice before just jumping into asking to be a guest. Because the most important thing to a podcaster, like we were talking about, is just that they're providing value to their audience. So they want to make sure that you are a good fit as a guest before they put you out there in front of their whole audience. Clubhouse, I definitely think, is a great way to find people to connect with. And it's also, if my listeners are worried about like speaking and being interviewed at all, like Clubhouse is a great way to dive into that when you know that you only have to talk for like a minute. Like it's a it's not going to last forever. They're not going to send it out to their audience. It's just like, but that audio talking to a stranger in front of other people. I've been doing a pod, two podcasts for over a year now. And I was still like nervous when I was on clubhouse for the first time until I got used to it. And so it was a good mm -hmm. kind of crash course into answering questions. Yes. There's, you know, a lot of conversations about the effect that clubhouse will have on podcasts. And to be honest, I think it's just going to increase the people's desire to to have podcasts because I think people are starting to realize, hey, this is kind of fun to just get up here and, and talk about this topic that I'm interested in. So yeah, I think it's just going to continue to expand. But absolutely, if you just want to try out, you know, talking about something that you're interested in, Clubhouse is great for that. And I know one thing that always comes up for all bloggers that are in business is how can I make money from this? How yeah. either directly or indirectly can podcasting result in income? This is a great question. It is definitely one of the most commonly asked questions when it comes to podcasting because with bloggers, with business owners, like we want to be doing things that are going to make us money, that are a good return on our investment of time, all of those things. So there are a few different ways that you can make money and bloggers are probably familiar with things like sponsored ads. That's definitely an option with podcasting. There are all kinds of different possibilities and a lot of different brands will want to see like what your download numbers are like. And so for a beginning podcaster, that can be kind of defeating that like, okay, well, maybe I didn't, didn't launch with enough, with high enough numbers and how am I going to build this up? And that can be stressful for sure. Um, a lot of the people that I work with that have their own businesses, I really just encourage them to focus on talking about what they offer themselves, their own products, their own services. And I think as a food blogger, that's really important too, whether it's just making people aware that you have a blog, or if you do YouTube videos about your recipes, or whatever you do to promote your blog and what you do, Make sure you're talking about that on the podcast. If you have a course about cooking, whatever it may be, some kind of free offer to get people on your email list. Maybe you give them like a free book of five to 10 recipes, whatever it is. Again, it goes back to that, that worry I think people have of like, well, I don't want to seem like I'm just talking about my stuff all the time. And I, what I just encourage people is that they're listening because they think that you can help them with something or they're interested in what you have to say. Like they're not suddenly going to be like, oh man, like they're talking about their stuff. So I'm going to turn it off. I think it's actually much more 
jarring for people to be listening to a podcast and suddenly hear an ad that has very little or nothing to do with what with what the host is talking about. So, yeah, I, I think that sponsored ads are, are can be a great way. They tend to not be as lucrative as if you are selling something of your own. But I know with food bloggers, they may not be selling something in the same way that like entrepreneurs might be selling, you know, a course or a coaching program or something like that. So it may be more important to look into some of those sponsorships or um, affiliate marketing if there's something that you can promote to your audience and get an affiliate commission from that. All of those are, are great ways to monetize your podcast. Often you are not going to be making full-time or really even part-time income from your podcast. Some people do it for sure, but it can be a great way to bring in some extra money if you are using some of those strategies. I definitely view mine as a more of a marketing engine way to expand my brand and then establish authority even within my own audience. And then it's my courses or my cookbooks or my hands-on right. classes that that's where I can make some money from. But I agree it is it is a lot harder. It's like trying to make money from an ad network that you need a whole lot of people to, to be there. And it's a little harder to get podcast listeners than just someone searching on Google a lot of the time for a, like a recipe view. Yes, that's absolutely true, which is why I try to encourage the podcasters to have written <laughs> content as well, because it has to be more searchable. <laughs> that's so, yeah. So do you recommend someone doing like a transcription? doing a like a summary of their art of the podcast what's a good way to make you know text-based versions of a podcast mm -hmm. i would say the easiest way if you don't have any written content at all would be just to do a transcription of course bloggers probably will start with written so that would be great or they know the importance of you know doing their keyword research and they're having their seo already and so I, I think you can do a transcript. You could also have your blog post that, you know, that's your original content. You could repurpose some of it, some highlights to your podcast, and then you could also link the transcript to the podcast on that blog post as well. So, but if you're not starting out with written content, yeah, you could, you can absolutely post the transcript. I think just being aware of the importance of keywords and still putting in your headings and all those kinds of things that bloggers already know about. The things that we love so much, like keyword yes, research and proper formatting. <laughs> <laughs> well, Laura, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your expertise, talking all about podcasts. If my audience wants more information from you, they can go to thepodcastvault.com. They can go to profitfrompodcasting.com. I don't know why I have trouble with the, uh, the two hard P's in a row I struggle with. They can also find you on Instagram at Laura Powder Co. and uh, on Clubhouse at joinclubhouse.com slash Laura Bowder. So, Laura, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your expertise. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. This has been Making Bacon, all about helping you serve your fans, grow your income, and get the most out of your blog. Until next time, I'm Jason Logston.